Hello. Welcome to The Next Step. This is a brand new podcast from Fellowship Baptist Church. Uh, my name is Wes Walker. I'm kind of going to be the host, moderator sort of thing. And what we're going to do throughout this podcast is talk to Pastor Rob Sines about various topics. Sometimes we're going to talk about his sermon from uh, the Sunday before. Sometimes we're going to talk about things that are going on in the world and how us as Christians should react to that. Sometimes we're it might just be Rob, and he's just going to talk about whatever's going on in Rob's head. Um, that's a scary thought. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what this podcast is going to be. Uh, today, our first episode, we're going to go over some of the things, some questions that came up uh, while during Rob's sermon from this past Sunday. It was called Taking the Next Step, and it was kind of your vision for the future of fellowship specifically. Do you yes. want to kind of like summarize? Specifically for, yeah, what's coming up in in this coming year, because obviously everything has changed and everything is weird right now. But yeah, so the summary, Taking the Next Step, is that no matter where you are in your spiritual life and your walk with the Lord, no matter how you would evaluate yourself, the truth is we all need to take the next step in some area, in some way in our lives. There is, we're not ever going to be perfect in every area, and but we should always be constantly striving to get better, constantly striving to be closer to the Lord, constantly striving to know more uh, and to be more who the Lord has called us to be. So it's just kind of some points of application in, you know, showing us where we need to work and kind of what we should all be striving for. Sure. Uh, so you kind of hit on a lot of different topics in in the sermon. You twelve different points. Yeah. In, so in the sermon. Yeah. I think in these questions we're uh, gonna go through kind of touching on some of those different topics. It might seem like we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but that's okay. Um, so one thing that stood out to me listening to your sermon is uh, talking about standing out as a church and. Um, but also evangelizing. So there's a common trend in churches today to kind of be appealing in ways to the world around them, whether it be visually appealing, like have very modern style, or it can even get into the sermons being appealing in some ways. So uh, how important do you think it is to appeal to people outside of the church? And is there a danger in that method of appealing? Yeah, I think... There is a danger in that. You know, 1 Corinthians 9 tells us to be all things to all people. And so there should be a sense in which certainly as individuals, we are, you know, building relationships with people and, and we don't want to offend people. Um, we want to not be the source of offense because, first of all, we know that the gospel message itself is offensive because it says you're a sinner. You're not the good person you think you are. You deserve hell. You're going to hell outside of Christ. And so um, that's kind of inherently offensive to say that to someone, to say they are not the good person that they think they are. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, you can't universally appeal because of the, the, the message itself, but we do want it to be the message that's offensive, not me, not the way I communicate it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can be appealing in our, in our demeanor, you know, in, in, as opposed to being inherently offensive. Um, you know, you're never going to appeal to everyone either, especially, you know, in the, the way our culture is now, you know, one thing is fine one day and the next day 
it's the most offensive thing ever. So if you're trying, if you're constantly trying to appeal to people, you're going to be constantly changing and doing something different. And eventually you're going to compromise your message Mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately to appeal to people, you will have to do what many churches have done and just kind of subtly change the message or tone down the intensity. And, and that's biblically untenable. That's not something you can do. So, so I think you don't want appealing to people outside the church to be the major thrust yeah. Of what you do, and and you kind of referred to what people call the church growth movement, you know, which is where the whole goal is just to get more people in, more people in, more people in, and do whatever we can. And the danger there is that <clears throat> whatever you do to win them is what you have to keep doing to keep them. Yeah, you know that's why you see some churches that just do more and more outlandish things that are just it becomes silly and and yeah. foolish, like the guy that ziplined. From the back of the sanctuary down to the stage at the opening of the service. Like, what does that have to do with anything? That's, that's ludicrous. It's entertainment. Not yeah, it becomes, yeah, it preaching. becomes entertaining if you're wanting to appeal to people. And um, <laughs> the problem with trying to entertain people is, one, you can't out-entertain Hollywood. You know, we mm. have TV. We have, you know, all the you know, amusement parks and stuff. We can't be more entertaining than that. For one, we don't have those resources. Uh, but our message is has substance that doesn't exist in the in the entertainment world. Right. So. So, just do you think there's any anything wrong necessarily with maybe like thinking about the image of your church in a way where it's like, oh, we're gonna have some more modern looking graphics or more? Do you think there's anything necessarily no, I, wrong with that? Yeah, I or? think that's that's good because um, the the message of the gospel is absolutely relevant. In all times, yeah. But you can package it in a way that it seems to be irrelevant. Sure, you times know? change, times and styles change. change yeah. So well, and you know, every uh, looking at restaurants is probably an easy way to think about that. Is almost every restaurant and business will every so often remodel, yeah. You know, so they don't look like something from fifty years ago, right? And you know, unless that's what they're going for. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Unless that's yeah. Unless uh, that like seems that's, fifty years ago. That's the thing now for so many people, but. Um, yeah, I, I think you want to be reasonably, you know, current and contemporary with the way things. You want to be nice. You want to be clean. You want to be up to date, um, so that people don't just look at that and think, "Well, that's a place I would never want to go." Yeah. You know, you don't want to block people out, but that can't become the central focus of everything right. you do. Of being the most current or contemporary, you know, the, the central focus is the message. Yeah. So. Cool. Um, Moving on to our next question, where does the desire to be obedient come from? So uh, you talked, you emphasized obedience to God's word in the sermon a lot and how we are called to be obedient. So, and it's very hard to get that desire to actually be obedient. So where does that desire come from? Well, the simple answer is it comes from the Lord. You know, he, he places in us that desire uh, to follow him without the Lord at work in our heart, we're not going to conjure that up on our own. Um, but even as believers, we do have that that base. There's that baseline com- change that happens in you. You know, the Scripture says, "If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. the 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 old is gone, and the new has come." And it says, "Behold." You know, like this is a big, huge thing. So there's a radical transformation that happens in your life as a believer, and it's going to change everything. So now you do have a desire to obey. It'll never be perfect. You're never going to perfectly obey. But that. But ultimately, it comes from that transformation, that new heart 
uh, that is given to you. You know, my desire is is always going to be to do my thing, but when you when when you become a Christian, you're it, it's it's a change from the inside out, not from the outside in. It's you know, and so we have this this new heart that has new desires and new directions, and but it's still living in this suit of unredeemed flesh. Mm-hmm. So there's still going to be that pull toward self, even though we now have a base desire as Christians to be obedient to the Lord because that's we've been remade into a slave of Christ and so he's our master and he's the one we want to serve mm-hmm. so but yeah it's not something I generated on my own right something that he worked in me something that he gave to me okay um we t- and this kind of goes along those lines we tend to think selfishly a lot of times yeah. in our lives we all do. Uh, sure where in the Bible can we find verses and passages about why it's important for us to care about others benefiting from how we are as people? Um, specifically in reference to when you come to our worship gathering with your heart prepared for worship, everyone benefits. This is a quote that you said in the, yeah, yeah. In the sermon. Um, <clears throat> well, one of the overarching, just a theme that you have in the New Testament is serving others. Um, 47 different times in the New Testament, it's speaks of one another, serve one another, love one another, care for one another, give to one another, help one another. Um, So there's this real just inherent built-in one another thing all throughout the New Testament. And, you know, so my, one of my focuses and one of my goals should be the edification of other people Mm -hmm. and serving them and lifting them up and building them up. Um, you know, Ephesians 4.29 talks about speaking to other people that it gives grace to those who hear. So even in my speaking should be toward building one another up mm. and building other people up. And then even in um, later on in Ephesians, it, it talks about um, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And, you know, that's going to be to their edification. And, uh, you know, we are to uh, build other people up. So, you know, that's, that's just kind of built into the framework of who we are as Christians. You know, we are members one of another, right? So uh, we want to build others up. We want to give them grace and put away, you know, bitterness and wrath and anger and all those negative things. And those are the things that we're to put away and put, put on serving other people. And so mm-hmm. the whole idea of when I come prepared for worship— the benefit to other people will be um, one of them is even in singing. I remember uh, being at a church one time and uh, we were singing old, 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 obscure hymns at this church. And I was sitting next to this young couple, the husband and wife, they were probably in their early twenties. And he was singing this old hymn. He clearly knew it. And it made me want to sing it because I'm watching him sing it with such joy and passion. Mm. You know, that's what we, that's one of the things that we do when I come prepared and I'm like, I'm ready to sing this song. That's going to be encouraging to other people around me. Uh, You know, when I'm really engaged in the sermon uh, and I'm really listening and somebody glances over and sees me, they're going to be like, oh, he's really, what's, what's he really focused on? You know, so now I'm trying to figure out what he's focused on, you know, so it's just, just be, and just being there is encouraging to people too. Mm. So. What does it mean to, quote-unquote, be a Berean? This is something that I've heard many a person in the church say from time to time. I've heard my father say it many times. 
but for those listening that might not know what that term means, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah, well, it's in Acts chapter 17, and Paul and Silas are, are, are kind of going from place to place, and they, they, they land in Berea, and uh, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and they started teaching this message, which was a whole new thing. They're talking about Jesus, and, and they're, they're talking about the gospel, and the Jews, it says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So basically, it's saying that I'm always, if you're a Berean, I want to go to the scriptures and take what I've heard or what I've been told or what I've been taught and go and see if it is in alignment with Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be a Berean is to say, okay, I'm not just going to take your word for it. Even if I trust you and even if I know you're teaching sound things, I'm going to go to the Scriptures myself and I'm going to search that out mm-hmm. because that's there will be great benefit in that because I'm reading the word myself as opposed to just listening to somebody else. Okay. Uh, do you think the lack of cultural let me hang on let me try rephrasing that question um do you think that a lack of people in our culture following the sabbath has had an impact on the church as a whole like because i've seen it in just american culture in particular that we work like a lot we work all the time and I work every Sunday. Sure. Uh, well, you're special, Rob. Um, but there's a lot of people that work uh, six days a week. Some people work seven days a week. Um, and we are called in the Bible to not work one day. Yeah. And uh, I think that I've seen that kind of be dropped by a lot of evangelical churches is like it's not really emphasized very much whereas obviously jews really emphasize the sabbath a lot still they don't do anything practicing jews don't do anything on the sabbath day so uh do you think that that has had any impact on the church as a whole and what is the importance really of following the sabbath as a christian I think you're looking at, um, you have to be careful because when you when you talk about the Sabbath, really you're talking about a Jewish thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the purpose of the Sabbath was, was rest, and Jesus fulfilled that in that we no longer have to strive for, we can rest in him. So Jesus, in a, in a sense, Jesus is our Sabbath because we can rest in Jesus. So um, the Jews stopped all their work and had all these complex rules, right, mm-hmm. that they had written around to uh, to fulfill the Sabbath. Well, we don't have those rules, and we don't have those regulations anymore. So technically, we don't have to do that. Now, there are different, different opinions on what the Sabbath is now. Of course, if you're talking Jewish Sabbath, it's Saturday, mm-hmm. and the Christians began worshiping on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So mm-hmm. that's why we shifted to Sunday. But I think the cultural lack of it is even if we're not required to cease from work and you can only walk so many feet and all the yeah. all the complex kind of ridiculous stuff that they that they would do um, we still should I think take one day that that principle of rest and that rhythm of rest and the consistency of, of meeting with the your brothers and sisters in Christ and the consistency of gathering for worship those things are very important and I think critical for us, you know, we don't think of Sunday as the Lord's day. Mm-hmm. You know, for most of us, it's the Lord's morning. Right. <laughs> you know, I'll give him a few hours. Um, whereas, and that's you know, just a cultural thing, really. It used to be all day Sunday, 
Um, and now it's less and less and less. But um, I think it's just, it's really more a product of the culture of bus- what I call the culture of busyness, mm. um, where everyone is busy and it almost seems at sometimes to subconsciously be a badge of honor of how busy I am. Yeah. You know, it's so I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. I'm just, everybody's busy. You know, there's, mm-hmm. but everybody also has the same 168 hours in a week. Right. So um, I do think it's wise and good to set aside a day um, to to cease from your normal activities and and focus on worshiping the Lord and you know set that aside. Doesn't mean you don't. I mean, I know people who won't do anything on Sunday because mm-hmm. it's Sunday, um, but. You can mow your lawn. I mean, you can sure. work on the house. I think the point really is just to cease from what you normally do yeah, and rest from that, you know, because I think we need that. I think that's kind of, you know, we not that the Lord needed to rest right. <laughs> on the seventh day, but we do, you know, and we need that that regular rhythm, you know. So I I think it's really more about, about what we need than it is about a uh, legalistic fulfillment of some requirement. If that makes sense. I don't know if that answers the question or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What is the difference between not wanting to go to church versus not being able to? And uh, how can we like better hold ourselves accountable to that? Yeah, no, that's a big thing, I think, today. Um, You know, and even depending on where you live in the United States, it's going to vary your ability to go or not go or, or, you know, what the government is trying to enforce. And can they do that? Should they do that? And all of that. But, um, I mean, let's just say there's no restrictions given, right? Um, some people can't come to church. And, and, and to, to back up a little bit, we know that's the requirement of Hebrews, right? Do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves. Um, so, yeah, we are commanded to come together. And I would say as often as the leadership of your church has decided, which for almost every single church is going to be every week. Um, so the weekly gathering with your church, I would say, is a command. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to determine when you're being disobedient to that command. Now, obviously, an older person who is not physically able to get up and get out of the house and, and go, they're not disobeying that command. Mm-hmm. They don't have that physical ability. And even for, the, for, a, for a few weeks, at least, when at the early days of the quote-unquote pandemic, whatever you believe about that. But in the early days, we didn't know what to think about that. It was all new. And so to stay home for a few weeks was probably a wise thing to do until we kind of figured that out. We're fortunate here in Missouri that that only lasted, I think, six weeks for us. So we were Mm -hmm. able to start gathering again after that. But um, I think first and foremost, you just have to be honest with yourself. Am I really not able to go? I mean, we can, we've continued our live stream because there are some people who, who le- legitimately can't come. Right. You know, maybe they are in a really high-risk category, and they, they shouldn't get out and, and expose themselves to the possibility of getting sick. Um, or maybe, you know, you're, you have to stay home because you're sick. You know, my wife had to stay home a few weeks ago because one of our kids was sick. And so they all have to stay home. And so we like to have the live stream available so that you can still engage in that time. But I think it's really mostly just being honest with yourself. It's like... Mm-hmm. Am I looking for an excuse to stay home and sit on the couch and drink coffee while I watch church Yeah. versus the benefit? Because there's a radical difference between being there live in person and watching it online and yeah. even watching it later. You know, so we, we decided um, early on when we were only able to, to do a live stream, when we weren't meeting together, that we wanted to do it live so that we were actually all doing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Even though we weren't really doing it together, we kind of, that was the best we could do at yeah. the time. That's why we didn't pre record it and hit play 
that just seemed like we weren't really gathering, mm -hmm. even though we really weren't gathering. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think you have to be honest with yourself because we always, all of us try to justify our sin. You know, it's like, well, I really can't go because, you know, fill in the blank. Well, that's probably, you need to, you know, you're probably, <laughs> you know, you're probably coming up with an excuse many right. times. Um, or maybe you're just fear, fearful, you know, and if it's just fear, you need to trust God more. You know, yeah. you, you shouldn't live in fear. There are some things legitimately to be afraid of, but, um, but don't live in fear. Another key is if you're serving if there's something that, that people are relying on you to do, that's going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're serving in such a way that when you don't show up, people are like, wait, where is he? Where is she? That helps because that adds a level of accountability to yourself. You know, if Rex doesn't show up on Sunday morning, we're all going to be standing there like, okay, who's, what's happening? Everyone you know? notices. Yeah, everyone's yeah. going to notice. Like, because it's like, there's nobody there to start. If I'm not there, everyone notices like, okay, what's going to happen now? But we and you know and not that everybody's going to serve in a capacity like that, but if somebody is expecting you to be there to do something, that helps. Yeah. Um, now not everybody can serve on Sunday morning. We don't you know we don't have we don't need every single person to serve, but that's one thing to do. Um, but just you know, commit. Ask somebody to hold you accountable to that. Yeah. You know, hopefully your spouse, if you're married, would would say, hey, we need to go to church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and but then you could both kind of do that. So you want somebody else that's going to hold you accountable. It's going to ask you, hey, where were you? We missed you, that kind of thing. And, you know, there's also a key of having a teachable attitude. Um, don't be that person that can't ever be corrected or that people are afraid to say something to, you yeah. know, that I call them eggshell people. You know, we always feel like anytime you're around them, you're walking on eggshells. Mm -hmm. Don't be that person because that people say, hey, where were you last week? If they're afraid, you're going to say, it's none of your business where I was last week. Yeah. But they're probably going to not ask you again. You know, so have the right attitude, you know, toward that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the primary goal of the church? What should Christians keep in mind as they go through life uh, and are a part of a church? Well, when you look at biblically what the primary purposes of the church are, it's threefold. Not that there's only three, but it's three primary purposes, and everything kind of falls into those three categories of the, the worship and exaltation of God is one reason for the church— um, the, the growth, the edification, the uh, encouragement of, the, of, of Christians, and the evangelism of the lost. So I, I call it the three E's, exaltation, edification, and evangelism. Um, those are the three purposes. And that was even the sermon on Sunday, those three categories that we looked at, and everything kind of falls into one of those three categories. Um, so if your church is doing things outside of that, it's not necessarily wrong to do things outside of that, but those are the primary things that you should be committed to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, and it should be obvious that those are our three primary commitments. Right. How do you tell the difference between what you are called to do in service and what you personally want to do? And can they be the same thing? Um, I, I think you have to be careful. You might be setting up a false dichotomy, like what okay. I want, what I want to do versus what I'm called to do versus how I should serve. Um, I don't think it's a one versus the other. You know, I think, if you have a how can I serve mindset, then you're ready to serve in, in whatever capacity you are. But I also think that God creates each one of us uniquely mm -hmm. and he gives us a spiritual gift. Um, we also have uh, abilities and we have things that we're passionate about and those are all different. And if you combine all of those into this kind of unique picture of who you are, um, serve out of that. You know, you should serving should be a joy. 
And if you're doing something that's just not a joy, that is just a constant drag, maybe you need to be doing something else. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, you also need to do things that you're gifted to. I mean, the easy thing is, is if you can't sing, don't audition for the worship team because that's not going to be helpful to anybody. If you right. can't sing on key, nobody wants that. Sure. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's kind of an obvious thing. So, yeah, do, do the things that are that you're passionate about and, and look for those things. But, you know, I mean, there might be times when you need to do something that's, you know, we need somebody to do this. And, well, that's not my passion, but I, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's going to vary from time to time and from season to season. Um, you know, there'll be times when you have more time. There'll be times when you have less time. You know, we have people that are very busy that just carving out enough time to do this one thing is, is difficult. Right. Uh, but we have people that are retired and therefore have a little more time to, to do certain things. So they do more things. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are more in control of their schedule. Some people are less in control of their schedule. So I think it's just finding where do you fit in and how has the Lord gifted you and how what passions has he placed in you and how do all those come together in a way to serve the church? Because, you know, First Peter tells us that we've been given these gifts to serve the body. Mm-hmm. So we should all be serving, you know, serving one another. Yeah. Okay, so this is uh, one that I was thinking about a lot because I was thinking about whenever I really started to try to grow more in my own personal faith, but studying the Bible can be overwhelming whenever you first come to it. Oh, yeah. Because it's a big— It can be overwhelming later on, too. Yeah, it's a big (laughs) book, and it's— uh, a lot of times, especially the way we currently read is like Americans, like we have a cultural difference in what we yeah. uh, read. Well, and, than and what is wherever written. you open the Bible, you never know. Am I reading uh, history? Am I reading poetry? Right. Am I reading a narrative? Am I reading instruction? Am I reading a, a letter? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, all these different literary styles, too. So kind of off of that, what would you recommend for someone trying to begin a, a regular Bible study, someone that's at like maybe slightly above no knowledge, you know, someone with kind of a basic knowledge of the faith in general, where would you point someone to to start Bible study for themselves? Yeah, well, I would say first just start reading the Bible. You know, we, we talk about the... Uh, um, Donald Whitney wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, and he outlines five uh, areas or five ways we, we, he calls it Bible intake. You know, we need to take the Bible in. And it starts with hearing the word, which would be like sermons and, you know, teaching. Um, and then he, then he goes to reading, and then he moves to studying, and then he memorizing, and then meditating. So, and those are kind of layered. That's kind of getting deeper and deeper, right? So first, just make sure you're consistently hearing the word. So you... I, I believe that every Christian is called to be a formal member of a church, mm-hmm. I, you know, and we can talk about that. We'll talk about, we should talk about that another time, but yeah. I believe the Bible is very clear about that. Um, but so hear the word in your church, read it, you know, if nothing else, just start reading, you know, start in the New Testament, start with the book of John or one of the gospels, mm-hmm. you know, and start in the New Testament and just start reading. And then you move into studying and, and really the best resource there is to get a good study Bible. Go to your pastor, ask him what he would recommend. I would recommend a MacArthur study Bible because I think it's very clear. It's very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very accessible and uh, the notes are going to be helpful. And if like, if you don't understand what's going on, the notes there, there's going to be an introduction to each chapter at the beginning of the Bible. It talks about Bible, un- how to understand the Bible and interpretation. Um, and then just 
but start reading it and then just start really meditating on it. Memorize scripture, meditate on it, think about it. You know, all of those things kind of come together. Uh, but then you're going to learn how to do that, how to how really to study the Bible. One, by listening to your how your pastor preaches, because you'll hear how he studied the Bible come out. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's an important thing, too. But um, but yeah, you, you what what does it say? What does it mean? And how am I changed? Those are the three primary Bible study questions. And what does it say? You find out just by reading it and reading it and reading it. And what 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 is it actually saying to me? And then trying to figure out what it means. You know, who was it written to? Why did they write it? You know, those things. The answers to those are going to be you're going to find in a in a study Bible. And then how am I changed? What is it? What is it? And what does it tell me to do? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's easy because it's a command: do these three things. And sometimes it's going to be a little harder because there's like a narrative story about what happened. So, but yeah, you know, what does it say? What does it mean? How am I changed? And um, and really, I think one of the keys is to find someone to teach you how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the one of the patterns that we see in the New Testament for believers in Titus chapter two is the pattern of Older believers, more mature believers, teaching younger believers. Mm-hmm. So if you're a brand new Christian, find somebody to, to mentor and to disciple you. Right. That's really how you're going to learn to study the Bible is and just watch how they study the Bible and ask them to show you how to study it. Yeah. So And there's a lot of books and things like that that you can find. Cool. All right, we got one final question. Okay. Save this one for last because it's kind of a big point that you were making in the sermon and just it's a big point in christianity uh how do we go about sharing the gospel do we wait until somebody asks do we put it right in someone's face like walking up to somebody hi good morning here's the gospel how do we go about sharing the gospel because i think a lot of people don't kind of kind of like same thing with the coming to approaching studying the bible it can be overwhelming to go how do I do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the magic question, right? How do I, you know, the, the big thing. I mean, the first step is to learn and know the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. To know what to share. And, and I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you know enough of the gospel in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian, then you know enough to share with somebody else. Yeah. You share with them what you know. Um, I think one of the, the difficulties is that we are not in the habit as Christians in when we converse with one another in talking about just the, the, the basic what the gospel is. Um, I've talked to, to Christians that, that have been Christians for years that I can't imagine they don't know what it means to be a Christian and how to become a Christian. I'll say, hey, what is the gospel? And they're like, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And it's like, no, 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 what do you need to do or know in order to become a Christian? And they're like, oh, okay. Well, they have all a lot of those details, They've just we're we're not often called on to put it to lay it out in a way that you know is sort of this logical flow like you would share with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily always ready on our tongue. Yeah. Um, it's like oh let me pull out a track. I've got a track here somewhere. You know. It's like yeah. how do I how do I explain this? It's Jesus cross resurrection um, repentance uh, faith trust uh, Romans something you know yeah. like we we have all that stuff floating around in our head oh, but there's a verse i know yeah. from somewhere and you know what i used to say <laughs> it's like man you should never struggle in in quoting scripture because if this is something that radically transformed your life 
why, how, oh, I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it so well. It, it impacted me so distinctly. I can't sure. even remember what it is. It really showing really? That it Yeah, that really impacted your life, didn't it? But, um, I, but, you know, step one is to learn the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, and by that I mean memorize the verses and memorize, I call it a script that's not a script. You know, how am I going to explain this? Because yeah. ultimately, I said this on Sunday, um, I, have the, I have a way that I explain the gospel. Um, and I can explain the gospel in 30 seconds or 30 minutes or an hour and a half. However much time you're willing to give me, I can fill that time. Now, of course, I'm a talker, <laughs> you know, so. But I think we need to memorize a certain number of passages that are going to explain the, you know, the entire story. Yeah. And so that's it. And just have those down. And um, the script that's not a script, what, I, what I've always told people is read through this you know, 25 times, read it every day for, for a month, mm-hmm. and then you'll have it in your head. And you don't have to quote it, but if you read it every day for a month, it'll be, it'll be settled into your head. Right. Okay, this is how I explain this. And really memorize those verses and those passages so that, A, you're ready. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the thing. If you're not ready to share the gospel, it doesn't matter. The rest of it doesn't matter. Because if I don't know how to share, if I don't know what to say to you, if I don't know how to explain who Jesus is, and, you're, and why you have a need for him and how you can come into a relationship with him, which is your greatest need. If, if I don't know how to explain that to you, then it doesn't matter if I have an opportunity or not because mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. Yeah. You know, the Bible says always be ready, you know, to share the hope that you have. So that's step one is just let's learn the gospel. And, you know, that's why on that, that little handout sheet that I gave to everybody, you know, it says intentional equipping. Equip yourself to share the gospel. And even if you know how to do it, you, you can do that better. I'm always trying to come up with, you know, a better way to say this or a better way to explain that or, you know, th- things like that. So that's that's the first thing. And then number two is you you have to look for opportunities, but you're also going to have to create opportunities. There will be, like you said, some, there will be times when an opportunity falls in your lap. Um, I remember one time, and I blew it. This is, oh, 25 years ago. Um, I've talked about it before, but um, I had a friend basically who wasn't a believer basically asked me, so what is it, what is it, what is this whole Christian thing about? And I'm just like, I, I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't go there. I didn't follow it. He opened the door. I didn't, I didn't walk through mm-hmm. and I've never had that opportunity to share with him again. And it haunts me, <laughs> you know, even to this day. But so, I mean, you have to look for opportunities, be ready for opportunities. Um, but I think you have to generate those opportunities. You know I mean? Like when I moved, you know, I'm not from Joplin. So I don't have like my old high school friends or the people that I grew up with or people that I met at this phase of my life or that phase of my life or in in this whatever, whatever. You know, I moved here and I 99 percent of my interaction is people at our church and Christians need to hear the gospel, too. So, yeah, but so I really have to make great effort to place myself into situations where I'm building relationships with people and I'm looking for you know, opportunities to share the gospel with, you know, with my neighbor. I have a neighbor who can smell it coming. He hears me. He can tell that I'm trying to turn the conversation toward, you know, spiritual things. And he turns it right back in the other. I mean, he, you know, he sees me turning the wheel and then he reaches up and yanks and turns it back the other way. Um, But yeah, it's look for opportunities. Um, And then I think praying about it, you know, Paul in, in, in Colossians prays for opportunities to, to share the gospel, he says, pray for me. You know, if, if Paul wants people to pray for him to have an opportunity to share the gospel and to do it clearly as he ought to, 
Um, that that to me is significant. You know, he says um, uh, he says pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray that I make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So, I think, and, and this is, I think this is good. Once you're equipped, once you're like, okay, I know what to share, and I know that, I, and so I know, and I kind of know how to share. Um, if I'm, I didn't like. Here's one practical thing: identify some guy at work, or some some person at work, a girl at work, somebody that you know that I want to share the gospel with, and then every day while you're driving to work or on your way to work. Pray that the Lord would give you an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with them, hoping that it will eventually, today or in, in the future, lead to a full gospel sh- presentation for them. And then keep praying for that. And I and I think what will happen, and I've seen this happen, I've seen this happen in my own life, is that if I'm praying to share with them, then that's more on my radar. You know, sharing, you know, looking for an opportunity. So maybe it might that opportunity may come up with somebody else. But because I've been praying about it and it's on it's it's on my mind and it's on my radar. I'm going to notice it when somebody else says something. And I'm like, oh, well, you never know who the Lord has. You know, I, I'm convinced that there are encounters that we have all the time that because we're not spiritually focused in the moment, we don't see those opportunities because we're not looking for them. Yeah. Or we're so we're, we're scared. I mean, it's fearful, right? I have I have a friend who is probably one of the the most uh my hardcore evangelist maybe not be the right but he's an evangelist and he said one time i hate flying on airplanes because i know that when i fly on an airplane i have to share the gospel with the person sitting next to me the lord will not let me rest until i've shared the gospel with that person and i'm just so sometimes i'm just like i don't even want to fly because i know when i fly i'm going to have to share the gospel with somebody and this is a guy that is more passionate about evangelism than almost everybody i know and even he's like i don't want to do it sometimes you know so there's you know but yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. Learn it, learn it, learn it, learn it. Look for opportunities and make them and pray. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are just some, some simple steps. We can all do that, you know. And some people are like, well, I can't memorize. Yeah, you can. If, if I told you, if I, if, I, if I had a stack of $100 bills right here and I said, here's a list of verses. I'll give you one of these $100 bills for every verse that you have memorized next week. You're, and you have a list of 14 verses. So you're like, all I have to do is memorize 14 verses, and then you're going to give me $1,400? Mm-hmm. You'll have them down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's motivation, and, and it's it's caring. So, yeah. Cool. Well, that does it for uh, our questions for this week. We're going to, uh, I think we're planning on coming back and starting to do episodes for your upcoming series that you're working on, which is on Daniel, Yeah, correct? we start in two weeks. We'll, we're doing Acts 27 this week. Acts 28 the next week, and then Daniel. Okay. So I think what we're going to try and do is after we have this episode and we put it out, we're going to try and set up an opportunity for you guys to, for whoever's listening, for members of the church, to share questions that you have about the sermon um, or just about your faith in general for Rob. And then we will try and pick out a handful of them and address them on uh, on the show yeah. uh, following in that following subsequent week. Yeah. Subsequent week. Um, So be looking for that. We will try and put out some kind of announcement for uh, where you can share your questions uh, when we have that figured out. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Rob, for for doing this. Thank you, Wes, for doing this. uh, Thank you, Peyton, for doing this. My brother Peyton is engineering for us right now. Uh, (laughs) You just whispered to me, say the name of the podcast. This has been The Next Step. Thank you for listening, and we will see you soon. Bye.